Hello and welcome to Raw, the 90s rave podcast. It's a brand new podcast, which is, yep, you've guessed it, about the 90s rave scene. We will be transporting you back in time with regular episodes featuring tales and giggles with some of the legendary names from the decade of rave. My name's Tom Latcham. I'm a journalist, broadcaster and a 90s rave fanatic. My name is Chrissy Richards, aka old rave DJ and promoter Chrissy Mate. You're not that old. Well, I'm quite old. <laughs> but we should say that we are at Chrissy's house. It's A, in the middle of nowhere, uh, and B, if you can hear snoring in the background or farting, that isn't our producer, Paul Kingsize. Not uh, yet, uh, anyway. Uh, no, it's George the dog. Uh, but, you know, this is po- this, it's a family feel podcast, so uh, so if you do hear farting, it's not, it's not me, uh, it's George the dog. But it could also be the producer. Uh, we're delighted to say that we've uh, got two big name interviews in our first, uh, in our first releases. This one is Matthew Nelson Slipmat. How are you doing, Slipmat? The legend that is. Me, yeah, what? You, yeah. 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 Thank you for doing it. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Good, actually, considering. I don't know. What do you mean, considering? Um, well, considering what's going on in the world and yeah. stuff and, you know, not really working as normal and stuff, but um, actually feeling very positive and... You've been keeping yourself busy. I always keep myself busy. It's, it's like a natural thing for me. I can't seem to not be busy. I'd actually love to have half hour of being bored at some point just to remember what it's like again. <laughs> You're obviously talking about coronavirus if no one knows what you're talking about. We'll, we'll obviously come on to that and how it's impacting DJ and how it's impacting yeah. your career and, and, and you know, whether we'll ever, when we'll ever get back to go, going raving uh, again in the future. But uh, before we do that, I wanna, we're going to get to know a bit more about you because no one really knows a great deal about you than about your career, but they don't know about you yourself. Uh, but this is, of course, a, a 90s rave podcast. It's all about the 90s rave scene. So what image does the term 90s rave evoke for you, Matt? Bucket hats. Um, people with their hands in the air, <laughs> off their tits, <laughs> dancing in a warehouse or in a big field or something. Yeah, that's that's what I say. Colourful clothes, you know, all the old t-shirts with with um, like the brand names sort of changed. Can you imagine what your life would have been like without the nineties rave scene? What what would you have done with yourself? Um, well, I, mean, I was an electric. I was a, an apprentice electrician until. Middle of 1991, um, I was doing a bit of cab driving as well, actually, a, a couple of years while I was doing my apprenticeship. I was only like 40 quid a week for the first year. Wow. As an apprentice in 19, probably would have been 1989. And then uh, I was also going out doing a bit of DJing as well. Um, 1990, it went up to 80 quid a week. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in the money. Um, and then mid-1991, <clears throat> obviously I was DJing all through that as well, so, and I did a bit of cabin to try and make the money out. But then mid-1991, we'd, we'd made um, DJs Take Control, and we got a record deal from XL on the table. So as soon as I finished my apprenticeship, that was it, I was gone. Chucked it in. Do you think you'd be an electrician yeah. or a cabbie now? I mean, if you were a cabbie, Paul Kingsize is a cabbie. Yeah. yeah, there ain't much going on, to be honest. But electricity still does exist. So, you know, it would have been <laughs> probably best to you have chosen that option. I don't know about the cabbie. I, I, I might have been, I was only part-time. My, bro, my brother owns Saddlers in Loughton. Um, so he's still a cabbie, although he's done all sorts of other bits and pieces. Um, so there's probably a chance that I might have done a bit of that along, along the way, but probably would have been an electrician, I think. But you owe a lot to it, really. I mean, your entire your entire existence. Yeah. Uh, we loads of us still listen to it. Certainly, me and Chrissy and Paul and you know yourself uh, still adore the nineties rave scene. Why do you think that is? I don't know. It's sort of um, it's a question that everyone asks, and everyone's like, why Why were these tunes so long lasting? You know, why Why were they so good? And I think it was just just such a unique type of music. It was. Um, Electronic, which was sort of slightly different, wasn't it? It's quite new then, um, not being sort of instruments and stuff. So it was really, really unique. And then it just got totally messed up. That house music just got totally messed up by by the UK with them mixing in, you know, breakbeats, so sort of fusing hip hop and house together. Sort of started in New York a bit, but then the, then the, the UK people then started putting in reggae with it squeaky vocals and all sorts of weird shit do you have like a greatest moment of the 90s or a specific favorite year i think the the whole career has been pretty it's sort of changed and evolved as it's gone along so 
it's all been pretty interesting for me. Um, 1992, 91 was, was probably one of the most interesting. We managed, at the end of 1991, we managed to get onto the top of the pops and stuff like that, which was like, you know, totally out of this world for us. It must have been a, a wild time. Well, yeah, from being on building site at the beginning of 91 and going out <laughs> doing, doing like, you know, some, some gigs up and down the country because Rain Dance was running then. So I was, I was getting a bit of a name for myself and was doing the pirate stuff. But, but I was still, doing, you know, on a building site for first half of 91. And then the second half, I was doing Top of the Pops and um, Dance, was it Dance Energy? Up in Manchester and doing TV and radio and Radio 1 interviews and stuff. It was just... That's quite, and a, and cheese. that's quite a dramatic change. How did Massive. you feel going from just being someone doing some building work to all of a sudden you're this guy on top of the pops yeah, and everything's happening? It was massive. I, I grew up on a Thursday night with the family. I think it's half past seven, cup of tea, top of the pops. And we'd all sit there as a family and <clears throat> and watch it like religiously every single week. So then being just, just like that, being on the other side of it. We're going to get more on that uh, with DJ Slipmat here on Raw the 90s Rave podcast. If you are ever bored, by the way, after listening to this podcast, you want to find out a bit more uh, about me and Chrissy and why we've decided to launch Raw. There's a little short get to know us mini episode, which you can get, uh, which you can find wherever you're listening to this podcast. And we mean it when we say Raw is for you. If you fancy contacting us to get a shout out on a future episode, ask questions to us or the future guests. Um, just share your memories, thoughts on the 90s rave scene, anything at all. Just send an email to hello at the 90s rave podcast.co.uk. Hold the noise down inside. Hold it down, hold it down, hold it down. Hello, you're listening to Raw, the 90s rave podcast with me, Tom Latcham and Chrissy Richards. We're interviewing, delighted to say, the legendary DJ Slipmat. Can you remember your first rave and, and, and how you felt around it? Probably not really. Probably can't remember the actual first rave. I, mean, I sort of eased into it. I was, I was out clubbing at 14, 14, 15, but we used to go to like Oscars in Ilford, um, Ritzy in Tottenham. We used to go to Ritzy in Tottenham three times a week sometimes. Wow, I remember Ritzy. So, so <laughs> different. Do you know what I mean? It's like 50p night on a Monday. So 50p to get in, 50p a drink. So you were never really at home then, and you're still never really at home, are you? Do you ever rest? Um, I spend a lot of time at home now. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, everyone does. Well, well yeah, of course, yeah. No, but even without the, even without the epidemic or pandemic. Um, but yeah, so I was out clubbing, and then we, uh, I think it went from that era to then clubs started getting a little bit cooler with um, the sort of rare groove sort of sound that, that became popular and hip-hop became more popular. So we would then start going to places like The Wag in um, Wardour Street <clears throat> and places like that and then eventually Camden Palace. And were you going to illegal Cam- raves as well? Not really, no. I've, I've never really been a, a... I would never really call myself a full-on raver. Right. Obviously, been to a lot of raves. <laughs> but, Have you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, funny enough, yeah. So no running through fields, driving around motorways, you know. Yeah, did, a little, did a little bit of that. Went, we went to a biology once. We never actually got in. We just got stuck in a massive um, traffic jam. <laughs> Poured down with rain. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, no, I went to a few. Went to a few sort of warehouse things and stuff. And moving into more. But, but never never really did any, I never did any drugs till, till way later either. When? So, uh, mid to late nineties. What? Oh, wow. anything. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How? <laughs> it just goes back to being being all about the music for me. Right. But you weren't. Yeah. I used to. Don't get me wrong. I used to like drink and stuff. So we yeah. so we smashed up plenty of hotel rooms in '92 <laughs> and got us all sorts of mischief. But but no, it's never about the drugs and and stuff. Because we uh, we had a conversation the other week, which was you we we find you're either someone that gets into drugs and then into raving, or there are those people that get into the music and then through the music they find the drugs. So that's very much you. Very much me. Would you yeah, say that's yeah. a rarity? No, certainly not a rarity, but that is definitely me, though. Yeah, I mean, I don't really touch anything anymore. Like, that'd be very few and far between if I was to get myself into a. Takes a week to recover now, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And the rest. <laughs> and the rest. <laughs> a couple of pints of lager and I'm knackered for a couple of days. But how important were, was, uh, were drugs for the rave scene in the 90s? Yeah, very. It changed everything, I think. You know, let's be honest. I think um, when when I was going to places like the Ritzy and stuff, there was always fights there. 
or near, nearly always. Some of them pretty nasty. I got involved in a few sort of scuffles and stuff, but a couple of my mates have been bashed around here with hammers after these parties. With hammers. One, one, of mates, <coughs> one of my mates got stabbed outside Elton's, which was opposite um, Ritzy. Um, so it, it did totally change it all. And, it, and everyone, I think most people know that we're around at that time, the, all the football jobs and hooligans suddenly turned into sort of peace and love and that's right going all cuddles. fucking nice. well, what did your what did your mum think about all this at the time you know you and your brother both working in the rave scene uh, obviously it was there was a lot of reports in the newspapers that this was a, a dangerous epidemic of you know illegal drugs and all that what was your mum saying to you she she loved it she, she loved the music <laughs> she loved the music yeah did she well, the thing she is, liked the I, music I didn't, I didn't come home off, off me nut sort of thing uh, I, she knew that I used to go out and have a drink and, and have a laugh and go clubbing. But she's, well, parents have always been pretty good. They've always been very trustworthy. That's a good thing sometimes. But, <laughs> but, um, but no, she, she actually really, really enjoys the music. She still does. Really? Yeah. Does she ever say that was a terrible set, Matt? Never. <laughs> it's my mum. As all mums do. That. As all mums do. <laughs> no, she's always been very supportive. In fact, when I was making, I made the SMDs at home while I was living, if I was living there or if I just used to, have my equipment there. That would have been ninety three, so I probably just would have had me stuff there in the, in my old bedroom. And she was she was <clears throat> she heard me make most of those tracks, and she loves them. Really, absolutely Brilliant. loves the SMDs. Yeah, she's like, oh, oh, it's just the way you go from one thing into something totally <laughs> different, and it's brilliant. <laughs> was she the first person that heard it? She she would have been. Yeah. Wow. Now a tribute from one of your fellow contemporaries, peers. good fellow colleagues. Oh. Well. Oi, oi, Shane here, old Vibesy, um, sending a massive, massive load of love to my super pal, old Slippers, old Metsky. Just got to say, love you loads, me old mate. Hope everything's brilliant. Glad to see you are rocking like never before. Just got to tell you quickly that I've forgiven you for corrupting me in Ibiza 20 odd years ago. He was my main, main, main influence over there, the one who used to take me out and then not let me go back home till it was well daylight. We had many mornings on the beach watching that sun come up, and we was always, always first in the queue at the Mambo Bar, and we stayed there normally, minimum three or four hours. Absolutely brilliant times, Matt. Can't wait to see you over there in May for the slip back in time, May next year for the Ibiza big reunion, and I'm going to try and get you in trouble this time, mate. Anyway, loads of love from me, Shane Vibesy. Oi, flipping oi, pal. Love you loads. You know that. <laughs> What does he mean by being corrupted? Yeah, I did corrupt. You looked a little bit uh, nervous during that. So we'll come flooding back then. Yeah, so yeah, it wasn't just me actually. That was when we went over with um, United Dance back in ninety, been ninety six or ninety seven, probably ninety seven. Um, I've seen the photos of that on your Facebook. You look absolutely off your heads. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we was yeah. With Terry Terry Turbo as well. Um, and there was loads of us out. There was me, Dougal, um, Fulton Styles, Shane, Seduction. Um, it was, sounds... there was, there was well, loads, you all there was loads of us. It sounds like it could have been devastation for yeah, Ibiza. Yeah, I think, and I think that was Shane's first. I, I, I was a bit of a newbie to sort of that sort of thing in Ibiza. <laughs> um, and Shane, I think that was Shane's first time actually. Yeah. Really, I can't believe this. Yeah, we, we did. I won't say, but we did. We did sort of stitch him up a little bit. Nothing nasty, but we sort of um, stitched him up. He knew that he was doing something, but we stitched him up a little bit. Yeah. Go on, and then. <laughs> oh, you can't not say what you did. Well, he did a line or something, and then we we put something else in there as well. Oh, um, and uh, and they say yeah, he was chatting. He was chatting for a good few hours. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he looked back. <laughs> who in the scene was... But it wasn't just me. There, there no, was, no. Yeah. Who I was, was there. Who in the scene was most fun to get wrecked with? Uh, I, I was not going to with Chris Brown at the time from United Dance. We used to go everywhere together. Um, yes. he'd, be, he'd be out with me every weekend. He'd even come to Australia with us. He used to come away quite a bit as well. Um, so me and him were sort of uh, raving partners for, for a couple of years. I sort of had a couple of years of, of going a bit sort of bit mental from around 90 I think end of 96 so I got default I, I split up with my wife actually in I think it's sort of middle of 96 so then after that I then bit of freedom yeah bit of freedom and uh, a little dabble and a bit of fun why not and who was the biggest caner in the scene probably me at the time <laughs> 
trying to play it down and think no. Uh, probably, so many probably to choose Charlie from. B, probably someone like Charlie B actually, because he was a he was an absolute caner. But then he he would literally stay out all weekend. He'd just end up wherever, you know. He'd sort of come to to or like, like Tuesday or something, and then think, oh fuck. How do I get home? <laughs> Brilliant. Do you have like a, a best experience, a best drug-related story or moment? I remember playing at Space in Ibiza. I was there with Chris Brown at the time as well. And um, he had someone called Gabby who was working for him. Do you, do you remember Gabby? Yes, I yeah, do. I she, remember the name. <clears throat> and I shared a studio with him as well. So she was sort of doing a bit of work with me as well. She was sort of... Uh, did a bit of secretarial stuff for us, but she she was basically running the whole company, I think. Um, and she was a bit of a nutter when she got going. So anyway, I was playing on the terrace in space, and she was giving me these coming up, giving me these shots, which is just normal over in Ibiza. Yes. What she didn't tell me was she's put a pill in each one. <laughs> what? How many? Did wow. you have? How many did you have? So I must have had at least three or four shots. Probably, Jesus. Probably, probably a couple before I went on. And then, and then more, when I, more, more when I was actually playing. That must have been an interesting set. Yeah. So, <laughs> did you uh, got rid of the so, floor at that point? So I can sort of remember, sort of remember seeing people in front of me, sort of big smiles on their face, actually fully laughing. And there was Chris Brown and another couple of people that were, that I was working with out there. Um, they all sort of knew what was going on. I don't know if they knew what Gabby was doing, but they they could tell that probably my jaw was just swinging all over the place. Was it common that, uh, but, that you would but, play on on drugs, or was it was a rare? No, no, not at all. No, no, no. And I wasn't doing. I wasn't doing loads and loads of that yeah, sort yeah. of stuff anyway. And in fact, I didn't even know that I'd done it. No, on that day. Um, but this music sounds fucking brilliant. But I don't today. remember. So, so I don't at, remember. Look at the trails of my fingers. Yeah, Ooh. it's probably like fifteen, twenty minutes, and I must have just. Gone. I don't remember the rest of the set. <laughs> Everyone needs a friend but like Gabby, right? The final as well. So it's like you know, proper old, proper old days. But then uh, I did actually get told it was a really good set as well, and I can't remember more than half of it. Brilliant. So, have you ever had like a bad drug experience? I got taken off, taken off once at, um, at transmission at the Ali Pali. Similar sort of thing. Someone got. I spoke to my mate about this the other day and he said he <laughs> he said to me, Matt, do you want a drink? And I was like, Yeah, 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 get us a drink. He goes, You want a proper drink? Sort of wink wink. And I didn't really get what he was saying. So I was like, Yeah, cool, sure. So then I didn't realise but he'd spike he'd proper spike me up. And after twenty minutes, this is in front of probably a couple of thousand people. I didn't know what I was doing. You, what do you mean you say got taken off? What I don't. I got taken off. Someone else had to go on. I was just. I think I was just. Staying. How does that happen? What does that conversation go, Matt? What are you doing? I, like? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally, utterly gone. Rachel, I was with Rachel at the time, but at the time again, it wasn't totally not my mm. fault. It's but, just funny how this keeps happening to you, Matt. Yeah, it wasn't my fault. Honestly, <laughs> almost coincidental. <laughs> this is actually a question for my girlfriend who came. We came to your fiftieth birthday party, yeah. and she wants to know how you ended up. How you're so sorted in a world of drugs and and dodgy. Which, which means sorted, just as, as a person. Yeah, I don't know. I, I look after myself. I suppose. Do you know what I mean? It, like you know, talked about like saying I, I wasn't out doing drugs every weekend for for twenty or thirty years in the slightest. I had a couple of years of. You know, I've dabbling and, and stuff, but I've always been, <clears throat> some, some people won't say, but I feel I've always been half sensible with it. You know, I've had loads of fun over in Ibiza. One one season, I think it was 2006, I probably missed every single flight back in like 13 or 14 weeks. Like without failing, and there's sometimes like, I booked another flight and then missed that. <laughs> it was ridiculous. But there's still, I, I still sort of, most of the time, know when to when to sort of say no, and I've got quite a good work work ethic, and probably as well. If you call it good, I, I, I keep myself busy, so being over busy isn't necessarily the way. And to probably go. as well, it's, it'll be to do with you being a, a family man. So, but what kind of dad are you? I've never really lived with my kids, to be honest with you. Right. So, so I, I split up when my daughter was she was only two, um, and then same with my son as well. He was only about two, so probably not the best. But you're close to you're still, <laughs> you, you, but, but always close. close yeah. 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 So what sort of dad are you to them? Um, always there for them, most definitely. Um, I, I chat with Charlie loads and loads and loads. 
Um, a lot of it about business these days. She's running her own business. But yeah, no, I've always had a good, always had a very good relationship with them. I don't see Alfie that much. He lives right the way down in Kent, um, which is a shame. But we chat on the phone, and and he, you know, he comes up now and again, and stuff. We're still sort of close, as close as can be. Rachel's boy Art lives with us, so he's my stepson. But you know, we're close as anything. And what kind of partner are you? Fantastic. I'm not asking you as an offer, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, well, it worked too much, but do you know what? With Rachel, it's really, really cool because she's she, uh, we're sort of like very much alike in the way that we don't have to be with each other all the time. She does. She's a Reiki master. She's quite sort of spiritual in, in a way, and so she doesn't need to have me sort of you know looking after her all the time. And we, we've got a good. Good, healthy relationship. Would you say you've also got a good work-life balance? Um, I, I think I work far too much, but that's out of choice. You know, we both do, actually. She's, you know, she works with me as well. She looks after my diary and stuff, as well as doing our own bits and pieces. Um, so, so we're, you know, we're not, we're not an odd couple. We still have a, a tiff now and again and stuff. But in, doesn't? But in, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. It'd be boring, so, but, but we get on well, yeah. While we are on the subject of family, um, your cousin, Bev, has asked you to name all of your cousins because you do have I've a few, no don't you? <laughs> Absolutely no chance. I counted up once. It was um, <clears throat> 33. 33? Cousins, yeah. They're not all around. I don't think they're all around anymore. Can you name? But, but then, um, but then, no. Ten? <laughs> Five of them? Just, just reel out ten names, <laughs> <laughs> but then, but then second cousins as well. So they've all got kids as well. But you are a family man, and you travel around the world and all that sort of stuff. Has it ever become a chore, and you think, hey, you know what, I just want to be with my family? Not so much of travelling. I enjoy travelling. Um, Rachel comes with me quite a bit as well. Um, well, she's certainly always invited. Um, but yeah, sometimes work becomes a chore, but then it's sort of high up on my priority list so so i'll get it done you're listening to slip mat this is one of the first episodes of raw the 90s rave podcast uh, do get in touch with us we love to hear from you and your memories of slip mat and the 90s rave scene and um, for us to read out in future episodes the email is hello at the 90s rave podcast.co.uk we'll be back with more from slip mat very shortly here and only here I'm wrong. D-D-D-J-J-J, Slipman! He's now known as the godfather of rave, but he made the big time as the creator of the happy hardcore sound. So how did you end up becoming known as a hardcore DJ in the early 90s? Well, that was the SMD thing, really. So that the happy hardcore thing. So it started, it did start off as a godfather of happy hardcore. And that came, came from, um, it actually came from a, from a photo with, United Dance. You've sent George to sleep. No, no. I'm going to sit here, George, a no. dog, he's trying to sleep. George loves the SMDs, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, now, the, the, the tag, the Godfather, I did a photo outside the United Dance office in Chelmsford back in the day, and, and this photo was sort of me up against a, a wall with these dark glasses on, and it just, I think it was for Dream Magazine, and they, they titled it, the Godfather of Hardcore, and that's, that's where that come from. What did you feel oh, when you saw that? How did you feel when you saw that? Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, I know. Oh, I was yeah. been delighted, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's cool. But um, yeah, no, I, I was I was one of the first people to be on the creating side of that happy hardcore sound. Was with, that with because the does this go back to your your sunny nature, your positive nature? Because at that time, a lot of hardcore was getting quite dark. Uh, there was a sort of the, the emergence dark, of yeah. jungle, and and, and actually, did, did you feel? There's, no, there's nothing catering for what I want totally. with that happy sound. And other... Absolutely hit the nail on the head, yeah. So I was, I think one of my biggest tunes throughout 92 for playing out was probably Edge One, Compounded. It was just, that was like the go-to tune if you needed to to get everyone going or... <clears throat> Still is now, it by the was way. that. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Um, so SMD1 was sort of a bit of a take on that. <clears throat> with with the riffs, I know there's no piano in Edge One, but with the riff that's in SMD One, it was sort of based on on the idea of of, of Edge One. So it was purely for that fact. So I, I used to like the dark stuff. It wasn't my forte really, but I used to used to like it. I was known for playing some of the darker darker tunes as well. Some of the world dance sets, which 
bit more of a mixture. Um, I like the jungle thing as well, but I've just felt there was a there was a gap by the end of '92. Not many people, not many people were making the the sort of happier side of things. I Why just, do you think that felt, was? Why do you think just just the trend, I suppose. Just the trend, you know. Some, remember, some people said it was the snowballs. I don't know. But. <laughs> do you remember thinking at the time, I've created a new sort of music here? Not really, because you don't know how it's... You, you, can't, you can't see forward from there, so... Mm. Um, but it was certainly... I mean, SMD once it just stood out. It was loud. It was... You know, the piano was just so sort of like, bosh... In your in your face. Were you faced with any kind of snobbery for making something that was quite happy? No, do you know what? Luckily, not. But probably because I was one of the ones who was playing the all the types of music as well, and still sort of doing okay with that. You know, it wasn't like I was just you know playing a few sort of jungle tracks. I was sort of you know I had a jungle show on Kiss. Yeah. Every couple of months and stuff as well. So I was doing a bit of everything. I, I do feel that I was probably a little bit fortunate in some ways that I didn't get so much of that snobbery. And what do you feel looking back now about your SMD stuff? Do you, how do you feel they've aged? Yeah, very well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still get asked, still get asked from people still yeah. want to buy them. I've repressed and repressed. Did an album a few years ago as sort of a, re, a repress that was sold out. Um, You've even played on Talk Sport, by the way, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> to me, I, I think I definitely was the first person to play happy, happy hardcore yeah, on talk sport. SMD one on talk sport. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, it was woke a few people up, I think. It was the middle of the night. <laughs> do you ever wish that when the scene split, do you ever wish you'd gone along the other route and sort of followed no. the jungle sound and you never sort of look at that and think, considering how no. big D&B is now? Well, because you made Breaking Free, right? Which is ultimately, it's a happy jungle track, isn't it? You know, in 1994, whereas you'd made that four beat happy hardcore SMD, yeah, the so SMD was, sound the year before. still into it. Exactly. So you could have gone both ways because you've got the skills to do both. Well, it, uh, uh, well, da- well da- I always pull out well dance because people tend to say about those sets but well dance I would go I would normally start sort of fairly dark or or down the jungle route basically not piano, not happy piano stuff and then by the end of the set I'll be playing sort of breakbeat happy hardcore through sort of 93, 94 yeah so so I was still doing doing a bit of everything so, so that, and I was still enjoying it also. so was there a choice to be made you see so a, could you have done both or was that just not possible? It got to the point, I think it, looking back, it got to the point where I was sort of going to to clubs and, and some of the jungle clubs I was doing, it was just like real heavy jungle. Basically, it had to be a pretty much a reggae track with a jungle beat behind it right. or it weren't going to work. And it wasn't even, um, it sort of started getting a bit more commercial. So it wasn't even really a particular sort of rave crowd. It was more of a reggae or leaning towards a reggae crowd, which not that, obviously I, I love my reggae stuff, but that wasn't what I was doing as a DJ. So it got to the point where I sort of had I just wanted to pull back from those sort of sets because it was just it was going too far apart. I suppose that but, was the thing. But if you just, if it stuck with it, actually a lot of jungle now. I listen to some of the stuff like by Danny Bird, and it's really cheesy. You know, it's really sort of happy. It's oh, some, up, of, the, some of the jungle, jung, some of the jungle stuff is really really cheesy anyway. Right. Depends what you think of cheesy, doesn't it? But I mean, some of the jungle stuff was just reggae lyrics over a, a Lynn Collins beat or something, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. So did you ever come across any rivalry um, with jungle DJs? Because obviously it was always happy versus no. jungle. No, everyone just got on. Yeah, I think everyone pretty much got on back in the day anyway, DJ, DJ-wise. Yeah, no rivalry. Like, so I think I was probably quite... Um, quite fortunate not to get that snobbery probably because I was sort of doing some half decent jungle stuff as well like saying playing on Kiss and stuff like that so it wasn't like I was a happy happy hardcore DJ trying to play a bit of jungle and because of my roots going right the way back to sort of Acid House and you know the whole raggedy thing tracks like Way My Brain and stuff that probably got a little bit give me a little bit more respect for some of these people so why did you pursue that four beat sound because you became known for being a four-beat happy hardcore DJ in the in the mid mid nineties, and actually it was a, a time when it was more popular than than, than jungle, big, bigger numbers in in the raves yeah. and that sort of stuff. Why did you go? You know, I'm going to go down. Just, we just have to make. Jungle, I have yeah. to make a decision. I have to go down a route. Or was it more? Was it? It, 
was more of a natural thing. So, I, so I like, like I was saying, I did, I was playing both both styles for a while. I, I suppose looking back, I, I was so busy by sort of ninety ninety five ninety six. I was so busy flying all you know all around the world. Things like I think the Take Me Away remix. I think that's probably ninety four. Around that time, there was so much going on. It was just like, do I really want to be playing two different types of music? Because that's what it turned into. It went from two different styles within one thing, but then it, it split so but far. Easy Groove, for instance, is a good example of this. He, he played both, and he, and he continues to sort of play both, but then he never got as renowned as you. I think in sort of business, it's probably better off, better to focus on one thing at a time. Considering how different the genres were in the mid nineties yeah. as well, it would have been difficult potentially to actually, follow. And actually, probably a good point. Actually, thinking back, I was probably going to to parties, and then so even a happy alcohol party, and then people were saying, "Oh, play a bit of jungle," or the other way round. Do you know what I mean? So then that becomes a bit of a problem. And I've had quite a bit of that over the years, where people haven't seen me play for like fifteen, twenty years, and I go and play like maybe a house set somewhere, and then, and then I get people coming up saying. When you're going to play No Jungle, you know, 20 years later, and he's like, oh, give it a rest. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we have got another tribute for you. All right. From your old pal, DJ Force, who oh. says he was a raver when you first met him. He still is. Hi, this is Paul DJ Force. I've been asked to give my old mucker slip out a little testimonial. So, um, yeah, I met Matt back in 91, 92 down at Tasco Warehouse in Plumstead for Rave World. Little party back in those days. Absolutely awesome. Um, I was a sweaty raver and Matt was obviously playing. I got introduced to Matt by Scott, the promoter. Um, just remember, sweating head to toe, looking up like I always did with Matt and just going, what? And that was it. That was my first introduction. Completely embarrassed myself. Um, but been great mates ever since. Um, as everyone knows, Matt is an absolute pioneer of the scene, actually all scenes that he's been involved with, because it's not just one. I mean, it's just dance music through and through from the early rave days to his tech house stuff now um, is just all awesome. Have the utmost respect for Matt and everything that he does. Um, a little story, as I've been asked to give, which probably... Um, it's more about me than it is a Matt, but it kind of shows the guy he is anyway. Uh, we was out in Ireland. We always got tucked into the Buckfast when we were staying in Ireland. DJ Tizer made uh, made sure that we did that. And um, I was a little bit worse for wear one night. And there's a whole bunch of us over there. And some part through the night, I'd gone missing. Um, the guys were getting a little bit concerned because I was a little bit wonky. And they'd gone looking for me around the club. After 20 minutes of constant searching, they couldn't find me. So Matt had led everyone outside, just have a little regroup and uh, see where they could look next, only to sort of uh, stumble upon me at the front door having a one-arm competition, one-arm fess-up competition against one of the doormen. Um, wasn't my proudest moment, but Matt took me under his wing, took me in the club, looked after me, and that's the kind of guy he is. So uh, big ups to you, Matt. Love you to bits and everything you do and have done. All the best, bud. Take care. Ah, that's really nice, isn't it? Is he one of the I think, nice I, think I actually carried him out of the club in the end. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, the hotel where we were staying, the, the hotel was sort of right next to the club or sort of part of the same. I can't imagine he won complex. that one-arm press-up competition nah. with the bouncer. <laughs> <laughs> Is he one of the scene's nice guys? Paul, Paul yeah, yeah. Paul's a Paul's, uh, lovely fella, yeah. I've been being very good friends with Paul for a long, long time. Yeah. He was actually um, looking after my diary for a while as well, a couple of years ago. Um, we're, we're, I'd say we're pretty close, mate, too. Nice. He's cool, yeah. He gets himself in trouble now and again, though. Even still. (laughs) There's nodding here. Yeah. I'm sure you've probably seen him in a few. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I've seen him in some states. Yeah. This is Raw, the 90s rave podcast. We hope you're enjoying listening to them as much as we enjoy making them. But now here comes the money bit. We are three average people with expensive children and busy lives. We would love to continue bringing you more epic 90s rave content, but we need your help in order to do this. We've set up a GoFundMe page and you could become a part of this fantastic and exciting project documenting the 90s for less than the price of a posh loaf of bread. 
Head on over to gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast and help us to make history. What are your favourite happy hardcore tunes of the 90s? Do you know what? I can't stand, can't stand sound about tunes. I never really remember what anything's called. I mean, I don't either, yeah, but you could yeah. just, you could, you could hum it and Paul will try and guess I it. I like Paul's, Paul's track, actually. That's uh, signed for Ah, uh, uh, what? For no, don't say that. Oh, you, you he won't to get me. out the door. He's big enough as it is. It's one of my, it's one of my favourite tracks. There's something about it. Before before this interview happened, I said we're going to ask Slipmat right what one of his favourite tunes is, and I thought if he says yours, I'm going to roll my eyes. Do you know what? Matt, well, Matt, I signed it, Matt. I'll give you that score later. Thanks very much, mate. <laughs> Cheers. It is a great tune. I signed it. That's no, really good. Yeah. Happy hardcore tracks. Things like heart gold. could be seen as sort of a bit cheesy by some people but so you, it's actually a really really well produced really well put together so you track. weren't so much a fan of the big vocally stuff at that time or yeah not not all of them no do like some of the big vocal tracks but then there were some really big tracks that used to work well i mean things like toy town and stuff like that it's just so so cheese but it worked so i used to play it because everyone wanted to hear it and it worked. But did you like it I like some elements with it, but then something inside me when the riff comes in is, is a little bit like. <laughs> Toy Town is a is a big point of contention for the yeah. So I think we can all agree, and this is a good example actually of of that. That hardcore, you know, four beat happy hardcore did lose its way uh, towards the end did, of yeah. the nineties. When do you think that was and why do you think that happened? Yeah, I mean, for me, it started off very stompy, but there was always that breakbeat element, even as the SMDs that I started with, they still had a lot of breakbeat in them. And that whole sort of 93, 94, even into 95 sort of sound, the night falsy sort of sound and what you was doing, Paul, that sort of stuff. Um that was, that you've was, made it. You've made his like year, I think. Paul King size. <laughs> you should see the grin on his face. Honestly, right he's now, off son. camera now. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to move out for the next two weeks. Well, you're going to have to. You won't be able to get into bed. His head will be so bloody big. <laughs> yeah, now that 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 whole sort of real '94-ish. I always think of '94. That real sort of breakbeat sound was still sort of pretty pretty cool in it in a way. But then when it went a bit more sort of down that Dutch route, the kick got heavier. Breakbeat's got quieter. There was still some really Dutch, good... Do you think that the Dutch influence then is what... Definitely. Is what sort of... Yeah, I mean, it, it didn't... It didn't... Um, it didn't disappear straight away. And I was playing some of the Dutch Dutch stuff. Some of it was good. But in general, it, it lost a bit of the sort of coolness to it. It probably got bigger. But then, like the jungle side of, of, of Ravers, probably then disliked it a lot more whereas right. they could stomach some of the sort of breakbeaty stuff and well, it was still, still the raves are still busy it brings me on to a question from Ollie Thumper who you'll, you'll know he, yeah. he, he says can you ask Matt why he thinks the happy scene went downhill in 1999 when the raves were actually at that time still quite busy I sort, I sort of stepped back from are you the saying that's the, that's the reason probably yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah looking back yeah it's all about me <laughs> You started it, yeah. I'll fucking finish it as well. All these years, everyone's been debating what, it, what, what the problem was. I've had enough, now we'll we stop doing no, no, that. No, no, we, now, can, yeah. we can stop doing this podcast right now. I mean, we've got the answer in one of the first episodes. No, you're all right for, you're right for a while. <laughs> no, I mean the series, <laughs> not this one in particular. Um, I, you... I, I actually, I remember 99, It was. Um, I got to the point where I wasn't getting any new tunes because I just wasn't feeling it. I so wasn't that, feeling that... any of the new stuff. It was just going through a change. It got very stale. Um, for me so I, I found myself just going out playing pretty much the same the same set or from the same set of tunes so I, I sort of took a step back I was playing a lot of house music by that time as well anyway and the whole trance thing had kicked off sort of 98, 99 works for clearly incredibly important to you how did you feel going out and just going through the motions it's alright for a while but then you can't keep doing that forever your sets, but there were a lot of sets you played because I would have been on the dance floor for a lot of them, like 97, 98. Um, very, very kick drum led. Yeah. Um, High love sticks out. Great, great sets. 96, yeah. 97, yeah. 
Were you enjoying those sets? Yeah, yeah. Did you totally, like yeah. that kind of hardcore still, yeah. which was very, still not very breakbeat at very all? Mu- very much so. But yeah, in general, I think the music went through a bit of a dip sort of into, into 90. And how did you feel, having created that sound in the first place, to then see it relegated to Room 5 at Bagley's, 30 people there, sweat box, not really, you know, a dead scene, basically? I didn't really see myself as, as being the creator of it, though, really. Right. Looking back, but you are. So how do you uh, look? Looking back, well, you know. So how do you feel that that that, <laughs> that, that eventually such a such an exciting and big scene just died on its backside? Yeah, I don't think any, nothing lasts forever though. Anyway, and I don't expect anything to last forever. It'd be boring. I mean, tell that to the jungle scene. They're not, they're do, I've heard they're doing all right. No, I want to leave them alone. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to end their scene for them as well. Well, look, can I? Can, no, but but it's, if you look at music. <clears throat> even the way the house thing's gone, they think someone comes up with a new sound and then people latch onto it and then you'll get a ton of tracks sort of influenced by that, just in general. And then some, you know, then that'll get a little bit boring or whatever, or, or someone will come up with something a little bit fresher, something a, slight, a, you know, a new angle at it, and then people will jump on that. So it's forever evolving. And it's just, the hardcore thing, it just got a bit stale. There's nothing new coming out. Yeah. But, but, but then by... 2000 and 2001 then you had what turned into UK hardcore and and Chris was releasing stuff as well wasn't yeah. she you know with well, Uplift no one would remember the raw, any of the raw it, element but... stuff no but it was good because it was yeah. because it was people who were passionate about it and cared yeah. about it and it got rid of all the people who were just trying to make money is that you know is that is that is that fair to well, say that, that or? was that was um I don't know about the money side well, was it? But, but it was influenced by the trance thing wasn't it yeah I, not i think yeah so uh, for, for me there was that whole uh trancey style hardcore yeah. i wasn't a massive fan of yeah. um so some of the stuff we did for raw elements was a bit more kind of old sounding yeah but but I, I remember i don't know i seem to remember sort of 2000 scott brown was doing doing stuff false and styles and dougal mm. were all making new stuff which had that new sound and they called it uk hardcore yeah. rather yeah. than happy hardcore yeah. Do you think? But, but I never really got into that. I, I, you right. know, I've done bits and pieces, even through the two thousands. Through we did um, hardcore albums with Ministry of Sound and stuff. So we we did a few new hardcore bits, um, but what, it never lasted. Really. What do you think that like the hardcore scene in general has done wrong? Where Jungle and D and B did right because that scene has stayed consistently and brilliant ve- and so varied as well. It's got so many different variants. Yeah, I mean, the hardcore scene is still is still there. Just. As far as I know. Just. Uh, I don't think it is, you know. It's like a loose tooth hanging on by a <laughs> tiny little... But it might come back, but that's the point. But what? But drum and bass and jungle has just grown and grown and grown. Yeah. And now you've got, you know, these uh, festivals with 20,000, 30,000 people for, yeah. for drum and bass. So what, 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 what did it do right? What, what did it do differently that's allowed it to grow to that point that hardcore, when, you know, you're now seeing the odd, odd event of a it's few a, hundred? It's, it's a lot bigger, isn't it? It's a lot bigger internationally as well but just the type of music as well i think uh hardcore is i, f- I find this with i've played obviously playing a lot of house music now and i find this with house is that it's not i found with hardcore it sounded good but you're waiting for the next for the next thing to happen with it so you wait for the breakdown you wait for the big piano break yeah. and whatever where i think jungle and and drum and bass is structured a bit differently to that so you're actually enjoying the whole thing so you listen to some of the bookham tracks the early bookham tracks and they just they take you on a bit of a journey you're not waiting for so a hardcore track for me i was always waiting for the next bit to come in it's a bit template yeah yeah intro there and, and break same, down there and I, I actually i was actually thinking this the other day with the house music i'm actually what i'm playing with the house side of things is a bit more of that journey sort of thing i'm not waiting for the track to get to a certain point or to get the next track in so i just think the overall the overall thing of the music is say better i don't know different it's different different structure do you think you would ever return to making any kind of hardcore again not the happy hardcore thing i don't think i mean never say never i still love it you know i still love playing playing the occasional set now and again um but it's not something that i particularly want to do i'm not not snobby towards it or anything when you play the occasional set I love it, but it's often, but it's often, it's often the popular tunes. Whereas actually, I find I wonder whether if you played some of the less popular tunes, because there's a reason why people are still going, because they really love happy hardcore. 
it, it's yeah. not the ones that were transient that like the cheesy stuff towards the end or those big anthems. I try and do that with, with the old school sets that I play. So the 91, 92 stuff, I, I genuinely try and dig deep. Even I did an online thing for, um, uh, what was it for the no- ultimate 90s thing at the weekend? And even that, I didn't just, you know, I could have just gone and played all the big, big tracks, keep everyone happy, but I didn't. I sort of dug a little bit deeper with that as well. And I think it, I think it pays off these days. Yeah, I think, I think a, a lot yeah. are accused of sort of anthem bashing, aren't they, DJs? Yeah. But the ones if, that dig deep tend to... If you to... bring in a bit of style with the way you're mixing it and stuff as well. You know, if you're just playing the tracks, a bit different, but but um, a bit of creativity on the decks as well. Uh, more from Slipmat on Raw next. I want to hear it one time for the Foghorns. Also one time for the Whistle Posse. Okay, are you ready? This is Raw, the Night is Rave podcast with our very special guest, DJ Slipmat, the rave legend, and George the Dog snoring away on the floor, me, Tom Latcham, and Chrissy Richards. So, Matt, when you're DJing, do you plan a set or do you just go with the flow? Plan it. Do you? Yeah. To the, to the point? Mo- most of the time, yeah. Not, not, not every track, no. That's rare, actually. A lot of people say they go with the flow, but I, I do think, think more people plan sex <laughs> they than say they that. admit. I think it's yes, bollocks. absolutely. <laughs> I agree 100%. Yeah. No, and I, I think it's the best way to go as well. So even going back to, to playing vinyl, right from the early days, I would always go through my vinyl, put it into some sort of order in my record box so it wouldn't just all be chucked in. Um, but it doesn't mean I'll play all the tracks in the same order. It just means that I'm, you know, I know what I want to play because if you don't, you're not going to play all the best tunes, or you're not going to have it in your head. If if you if they're not organised, if nothing's organised, it's not going to be there. You've got to pick out records pretty quick. But what about our DJ? As well. What about if say you you played a tune and it, and it was people didn't like it and it was a sort of floor give, killer give uh, or the floor, you know. Do, you must know there's. You must feel the vibe in a, a, a bit at least. Oh, cool, sure. That's part of that's part of DJ, though, isn't it? So yeah, but I th- I think a good DJ will have a plan, and then you will yeah. have other tunes with you. So if that your plan, plan a, isn't plan working, B, plan C, plan C, yeah, yeah. Have you ever dropped a dub plate? Like someone's given you a dub plate and go, "Yeah, slippers, play this, mate," and you've never heard it, and you've dropped it, and, and you've gone, shit. "Yeah, I think that has happened." Yeah, go on. Played play tunes before. I, I can't pinpoint one time. But because I'd rarely do that anyway, it would normally be like, nah, I need to listen to it first. Or whatever. But there, there has been times. There's been times when I've actually played half a track before and then thought, yeah, brilliant, that sounds great. I'm going to take that with me. And then, you, and then it gets to like halfway through. It goes <laughs> Midway really, through. really bad. Like, Turns into something terrible. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> think, Fuck, how am I going to get out of that? Do you think you were just being <clears throat> trolled with that possibly? <laughs> So hang on, I've I've got a dub plate. While we're on the topic of dub plates, yes. I've only ever in my life been given one dub plate, and that was from you. Oh really? It was the. Did you think it was shit? <laughs> <laughs> it was a tune I pestered you for ages because you were playing it out and playing it out and playing it out. In the end, yeah, you were sick of me bothering you, so you just gave it to me. Or sick of the, the tune. Nah, the tune was great. It was the '99 um, music remix by Ham. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the only dub plate I've ever been given. Thank you very much. I know you don't I, I, remember it. I probably it, just but... got the test faces. <laughs> <laughs> so still, it still made my night, though. The 99 mix. So that was the late, that was the late yeah, mix, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Break, break, break B1, yeah. yeah. That's so, a pretty cool track, actually. It's a fantastic yeah, track. Surprised you gave it away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who are your favourite DJs? Do you know what? I, I normally say Carl Cox because it's not just his, just his DJ and I think he's just got such a nice attitude with everything right. as well and I used to know Carl very well back in the day um, I haven't seen him properly for a long long time we've said a lower couple of times but but he's just just everything about about the geezer he's just he's just got that real good attitude he's always been such a nice person and he still seems to be as well but in terms of DJing skills is there ever a DJ that you're like oh, I don't want to go after them really because I know that they're really good not not in the rave scene no Okay. No. Are you saying everyone in the rave scene's rubbish? Oh, I'm just really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> no, not not at all, not at all. But What's... um, skill wise, I, I was always into the hip hop DJ. So what about MCs? Mm. Um, how do you feel about those? And have you ever unplugged a mic? Turned one yeah. off? Yeah. Oh yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't know any names, but 
<coughs> Tell us what they look uh, like. I have we know, it's very rare. It's very rare. <laughs> MC, guess who? Yeah. <laughs> there, there's been a couple of couple of MCs that have floated around the London scene. I don't actually know their names, um, but I, but they're just pests. So you've made lots of music across a multitude of genres, but is there any reason you don't produce as much as many others do in in the scene? For me, it's just it's actually time with me. I've got an album that I want to do um, that's been written there in my notes for months and months and months. I've, I've actually I've actually got a remix coming out. We've, I've done a remix with um, someone called Andy Galea, House DJ. We've done Shades of Rhythm, Homicide. So David Stoddard has uh, got in touch to say, Matt's a top bloke. I've still got all the fabulous SMD vinyls from my DJ days. I mean, your quality of production has been, we would say, is of a higher standard to a lot. What is it that made your tunes sound so crisp? Is it the equipment, the technical ability? Is it your ear? Yeah, I think it's it's sort of priorities. I think, um, like I said when I, when I when we talked about what music I like, I said about the reggae thing and the whole production stuck out to me. It's like that is my if I'm going to make a tune, the production's got to be good. It's about the production just as much as it is about making the tune right. And in fact, it's probably I'm probably less musical more. It's weird because I'm not really a technical person, but when it comes to the production side of it, the sound of it, that's got to be right for me. I was chatting with someone the other day, actually, we were talking about mastering and stuff. And I said, uh, I was explaining that I used to spend loads and loads of time chatting with Keith. Do you remember Keith at JTS? Yes. You spend loads of time chatting with Keith and trying to chat him up to get me cut, cuts louder and louder. But, but within doing that, he was very experienced as well, and we sort of got to the point where he was sort of advising me how to mix down and stuff as well. He used to do Andy C's cuts as well, and that was always very loud. Wow. And he, and he always used to say, it's me and Andy that used to go in and fucking aggro him about, <laughs> about getting it loud. And we did, and we managed to. And then at the SMDs, so many people over the years were like, how did you get all your cuts so loud and breaking free and that as well? Uh, you're listening to Raw, the 90s Rave podcast uh, with me, Tom Latcham, uh, Chrissy Richards, and DJ Slipmat. So that's it for the first half of Raw's exclusive interview with rave pioneer Slipmat. Hope you've enjoyed it. You can hear the second part next week. If you're able to spare a few quid so we can improve our recording kit and make the sound quality even better, that would be amazing. You can do so at gofundme.com forward slash the 90s rave podcast. We're also on all your social media channels. Search for the 90s rave podcast. Laters.